Welcome to Dense in the Darkness, the monthly podcast of the Northeast Collaborative. We're a church network that empowers pastors to lead and launch healthy churches in Northeast America. I'm your host, Tim Madeira, with WRGN Radio, here with NEC's president, Dan Nichols. This month, we have Pastor David Whiting with us. Dan? Tell us why you wanted to have David talk with us today. Absolutely. Well, it's great to re-record with David after uh, we were not able to do Northeast Leadership Summit in 2020, but we are so excited to bring it back November 6, 2021. And uh, David led a church in Rochester, New York called Northridge Church for many years when I was planning a church in Northeast Pennsylvania with a great team. And they ran a conference called 16.5 that helped churches make more and better disciples of Jesus. And this conference impacted me and our team big time. And uh, just super thankful for David's ministry in a lot of different ways. He's going to be our main speaker for the Northeast Leadership Summit. Uh, Again, coming up Saturday, November 6th at Berean Bible in Green, New York. And we are so excited that he's coming back to serve believers in the Northeast again. That is exciting. And David, I'd like you to introduce yourself to our audience. Maybe a couple of minutes of overview of your personal story and tell us a little bit about your family too. My personal story, I grew up in Iowa in the Midwest and then went to uh, college uh, there in Pennsylvania in, at Clark Summit University, went to college and seminary there, and then stayed around in Pennsylvania, was a youth pastor in Harrisburg for eight years. My wife and I, we've been, got married right after I graduated from college. We headed up to Rochester, were there for uh, 15, 15 and a half years. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time in the Northeast, love the Northeast. And then went down to Houston, Texas for three years where I was a church consultant. And now we've been out here in the Portland area, just across the border in Washington now for, we're coming up on three years. And my family, uh, Sue and I have been married for 30 years. This, this last summer is 30 years. And then we have three daughters that are, let me see, they're in their twenties, all in their uh, young to mid twenties. Two of them are married and we're just very thankful that all of them live here in the area. Uh, one of them, our middle daughter, is on staff here at the church that that I'm a pastor uh, at. She's on our kids' uh, staff. And then my oldest works at a food bank uh, here in the area, the local food bank. And then our youngest is working at Starbucks, finishing. She plans to finish her bachelor's degree this May. So, But they're all in the area, and... We're, we're, we're loving life these days. With, uh, uh, I confess right to here. being a little jealous, David. I only have one in the area. My oldest, I do get the opportunity to minister with her here at WRGN, but uh, having two all the way down in South Carolina plus three grandkids makes it a little hard. Yeah. Speaking of hard, uh, the last 18 months in ministry have been hard for a lot of our leaders. How about you, and uh, how has it changed maybe the way you minister? Yeah, it, well, it's been easy. Yeah, you know, you know I'm lying. That's not true. Uh, it's been a breeze. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a challenge. I think I think there's a sense when, when it first started, I don't know if others felt this way, but there was a sense in which it, there was a nice part about it in that we started recording. We were recording our services on Thursday. Um so the weekend was done on Thursday, and then I'd come in on Friday to a very quiet office. There was uh, about three or four of us that were showing up at the office in the early days. And then Saturday, Sunday, I was home. I would sit and watch the service with my family, and um, 
there was a, there was a nice part about it. I kind of liked it, but that, mm-hmm. that wore off really fast. Of course, when mm-hmm. it first started, we thought, well, maybe by Easter, we'll be back together shortly after. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's created incredible challenges. My, um, my friend, William Vanderblumen calls this the time of the great resignation, just that pastors are uh, seeing staff members resign. People are leaving their churches uh, lead pastors are leaving their churches. It's it's just a hard season. Attendance is is way down across the country. Engagement online that everybody was really excited about back in March of 2020 has declined everywhere. You know, so that there's all kinds of those challenges. The, the digital world, yes, people are watching online, but is online a campus a real thing? Should it be? All those things are just challenges that pastors everywhere are facing. I think you're probably being a bit of an encouragement, even though you might not think so, to some of the pastors who are listening who might be thinking, you know, I I thought it was just my church. (laughs) But it's not. It's everybody. Yeah, I had a pastor text me late Sunday night. Um, It was late for him. I'm, you know, three hours earlier than him, but it must have been 8.30 our time. And he he just uh, was asking, what's your attendance doing? And I told him, you know, ours is sitting around the 50, up to 55% mark. And he had been discouraged because they were at the two thirds. And I'm like, whoa, you're winning, man. This is, <laughs> that's amazing. But of course, it's very different when he's a church that was at 300. So now they're at 200. It just feels different mm. where here we have uh, between our campuses, 11 different services. So the average person doesn't feel it like they do at a church with one single service. Yeah. And it really is amazing how COVID is affecting every church, no matter what size you are. It doesn't matter. Like it's small, mid, mid-sized, mega, it doesn't matter. I mean, we just went to an exponential conference in Washington, D.C. with several Northeast collaborative pastors and the host church was a mega church. They were running 1400 every Sunday. And the lead pastor got up at the conference and said, hey, guys, I just want to be real and transparent with you. I mean, you look around our facilities, you might think, well, this is a huge mega church. He's like, we're running 400. We were 1,400 before COVID. We're running 400 now. He's like, we have a broken arm and all we're doing is extending the other arm to say, we love you. We care about you. We want to help you along, but we've got a broken arm too. So don't feel like we have it all together. And that was encouraging, I think, for most of the pastors coming in to the conference. And for us out here, I don't don't know exactly what's happening in, in New York, Pennsylvania, and the other areas that you guys are, that you're ministering to, but uh, here we're back to indoor mask mandates for everybody. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you're indoors, you regardless of vaccination status, mm. everyone's supposed to be masking. Dang. So it just, that was back in uh, about a month ago, a little over a month ago. So it just, we just took a big hit. We had a big hit in that we had an outbreak, a COVID outbreak at our middle school camp. It, well, I'll just say it was enough people that, I've seen stories, national news stories about Christian camps and how many kids we were in that category. So we were just praying we were in a national news story. <laughs> Those are the national news stories you don't want to see your name in, right? No. no when you're new in ministry, you think it's the coolest thing if your church makes the newspaper. The longer you're in ministry, you're like, it's never good. It's never good. So, so which of the big three do you feel like have been the loudest at your church? Is it the presidency? racism or masks which uh, which three do you think masks for sure masks wow. 
Yeah. So it's for us, uh, again, this is, this is how we're, we actually had the health department call us yesterday because we got reported. Um, oh, but for us, when the first mandates came out, when we started coming back, there was a mask mandate everywhere, social distancing everywhere. We literally took uh, two thirds of the chairs out of our auditoriums, spread them six feet apart, told everyone you have to mask. People would say, I can't mask because of, and we'd say, watch online. And then once vaccinations came out, you know, that was a huge relief. I just, my anticipation was, okay, now, mm-hmm. now I don't feel the need to, I, I'm vaccinated. I don't feel the need to mask because, you know, that's your choice. And what I've discovered is those that typically, those who are choosing not to vaccinate aren't asking others to mask around them because they feel like that's not. So, you know, and that's kind of how it started around here. And, and then when Delta rose significantly here in our county, it's gone back to everybody masking no matter of vaccination status. What we discovered is less people were showing up at church if we were absolutely mandating, if we were, to put it in the most negative terms possible, if we were choosing to be an arm of the government, making sure you fulfill what the government's requiring, we had a lot less people show than what we're doing now, which is we are saying our staff is masking, but we're not saying anything to anybody. We're, we're putting masks on, on our tables. We have where people can sanitize when they walk in, but we're not saying anything to anybody. So people are showing up. The masking, people cooperating with the masking mandate is not high, uh, but we're just choosing to, we're saying nothing. Our goal is to open doors as wide as possible. They see it modeled. They see when I walk off the stage, I put on my mask. I often take it off as I'm on my way up this, uh, up onto the stage, but we're not saying anything. So now we're getting people that are wanting everyone to mask to write us. So we're, we're getting hit from either side, no matter what we yeah. do, but we're definitely seeing more people. We just want the doors open as wide as possible. Those that want everyone masked tend to be the most cautious anyway. So they're unlikely. They, they don't want to be in an auditorium that has 400, you know, 250, 300 people is kind of our, right. probably our fullest auditorium for a service these days. So they don't, they, they tend not to show up, but, but they're willing to, you know, call the health department if they don't think we're, we're doing all we can do to make everyone mask. Mm. Actually, one of our staff members, our communications director, I had her call the health department back and had a great conversation and, and the health department is, is they would like us to, to put sign, signs on all our doors. But other than that, they're very pleased with what we're doing. So that's good. I mean, it is, it's a challenge to meet all sides that are, and, and I hate to even view it as sides because we tend to view things as I'm on this side and you're on that side. But, but really, it's sometimes just a different viewpoint than what mm-hmm. we may feel about something. And they can be obstacles to people coming in. I like the open door policy. That's a great way to view it. How can yeah. you see those changes, the challenges that we face as opportunities, as things that we can we can reach out to people on? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the opportunity that COVID is bringing, when I think about there's definitely challenges. By God's grace, we're uh, his incredible kindness to us, although our attendance is at 50% or I don't know, 52, 53, our offerings are high. They're over a hundred percent. That doesn't put the pressure on us that it puts on other churches where that's not happening. Yeah. But I, I think a, a pandemic like this, what it, the opportunities it brings is it allows us to make some uh, changes that we wouldn't have made as quickly. 
You know, we, we excel. There are a hundred changes that we need to make here. Uh, it allowed us to accelerate a lot of them. Uh, when we came back, we had one particular service, our Sunday morning, 8 a.m. service at one particular campus had been lower volume for years, uh, maybe decades. I don't know. And we'd been wrestling with it because we have at this particular campus, we have three services. The other two, it's full volume and the services are packed. So I'd been saying for uh, for a year before the pandemic that when the day, there's going to come a day where we can't keep our volume lower at this service. So when we came back, we went ahead and made that change, even though we still had room in the other services. So there's mm. some things that we could we could accelerate. We were a church that had a shotgun approach. Let's try a thousand different ministries and see who we can draw. We've been going more and more laser focused and allowed us to speed that up substantially. Uh, So we don't have an online campus. I know some churches feel like that's a great thing. We're all for what any church does. We're for it. If you're for Jesus, we're for you. But for us, we don't look at an online campus as a great tool of discipleship. We look at it as it's a better on-ramp. It allows Mm. people to experience church until we can get them in the door. But there are other ways we can utilize online. So like everyone else, you know, I didn't, I actually printed an email I found the other day, December of 2019. So three months before COVID, I was exchanging emails with a friend of mine, Tim Stevens. And, and Tim said, Hey, I'll, do you want to meet on zoom? And I wrote him back saying, uh, I, you know, I've hardly used zoom. Let, let me make sure I have it. Uh, can you imagine how antiquated does that sound? Right? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we've, at, we've been able to, we've done two years worth, two summers of book groups now with hundreds of people. Um, we did a, a theology class online that I had over 500 people and, and wow. uh, we, we went through Wayne Grudem's 500 page 500 and whatever page Bible doctrine. And I had him as a guest. I just wrote him and he's like, yeah, sure. I'll show up. And he was wow. on for an hour doing a Q and a with over 500 people from our church. It's just a really cool thing. We've tried, those are kinds of the opportunities. Okay. What can we do online? What do we want to do online and classes, book groups? What we discovered is those book groups, uh, people read. We, I think the first year we did 10 book groups this year, we may have done six or seven but we had a lot of people in them and people were, even though they could have driven in, that was when COVID numbers were low here. Mm. They liked the idea of not driving 15 minutes. Let's get online for 45 minutes and jump off. So we actually kept our zoom groups, book groups We're we're going to keep that. So we're, we're discovering some ways, although we don't think we'll ever have an online campus. We do think we're discovering ways to utilize a digital format. To, to reach our world. So there, there's some of the ways we've used opportunities in the negative sense. Let's make changes that we've needed to make. And then some additions that we weren't even thinking about. And I don't think without the pandemic would have worked. I think if we had said, Hey, let's do a book group that we meet online, just the instructions alone on how to, okay, no, here's how you do it. You don't have to explain to anybody how to do zoom. So uh, it, we've, it's allowed us to do some new things to end some things and, uh, more than anything, is provide an opportunity for dependence on the Lord. But the, the, I think a big advantage on the changes is uh, convincing people why you need to change now. I don't think you have to do that as much. They, they, <laughs> people sense some things have to be done differently. And yeah. so I, I don't think I've had to work as hard at convincing people of a needed change as I used to pre-pandemic. 
yeah, everyone's kind of uh, just in the flow of change so much that it's kind of like, okay, like <laughs> this is, this is the new normal. Um, so as pe- as pastors and leaders listen to this podcast and, and church folks listen in and I mean, they're wrestling with a lot of questions. They're wrestling with a lot of things. What are, what are some of the questions that pastors and ministry leaders should be asking in the middle of so much change that's coming on, on the daily? Yeah. I think the first one is what I've already hinted at is what needs to change that a pandemic can give us grace to do it, to accelerate. I, I think I've, I've dealt with churches and pastors and leadership and change management for a long time. And a typical res- is a typical response is mm, our people do not take to change. Well, well, you might have a little bit of grace here. So what needs to change that the pandemic might be able to accelerate? But I think in the big picture, the questions I I like to ask people in this moment, this unique season is, what do we need to lay down? What Or what did we lay down a year ago that we need to say, we're not going to pick that back up. It's time mm. to let that go. Mm. Um, that's a big question I think people should be asking. Or maybe they've picked it back up and it's not nearly as successful and everyone feels it. So you could say, we laid this down when COVID started. We picked it back up when we started meeting. And it's not working. We're manufacturing energy. And so it's time to let it go. And maybe that's a second question. Where are we manufacturing energy? Where are we, we used to have 30 people that showed up for the men's prayer breakfast and now it's six. And so we're trying to manufacture energy. Um, so I think, yeah, what do we need to change that we can accelerate? What, 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 what do we need to lay down? Where are we manufacturing energy? Maybe a question, where are we spitting in the wind? Where are we? Uh, I often say, here's where our culture's headed and we can fight against it. It's kind of like when I grew up, you know, uh, I don't know if you, if you guys both grew up in a traditional church, but I grew up going to church Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And so that's four times. And then usually there's something else. Yeah. We're both PKs, David. So yes. You got it. Yeah. You lived (laughs) at the church. It was your primary address. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so that was my uh, upbringing, and I think that's, you know, people in our church, that that was their mode for decades. They want to get back to that. I, I met someone in the lobby uh, this past Sunday who's brand new to our church and just said, what do you have mid, you know, what do you, do you have a service midweek? And, and we don't. We have community groups. And there's certain things that are asking yourself, where are we spitting in the wind? Where are we saying, this is what we ought to do, but our culture, the wind of our culture is moving one way so strongly uh, that we have to ask, is this biblical or if it's preferential? Are we setting something up that only sometimes churches set things up to disciple others? And the only ones that will even show up are the ones that don't need it. You know, you could set up a, here's how to study your Bible class that meets on Sunday nights at six o'clock. And the only people that show up are the ones that are already studying their Bibles and don't need to know how to study. So are you spitting in the wind can be, mm-hmm. I think some a question people are asking. I encourage people to ask, where's our church really? Yeah. Where, how are we doing really a true self-assessment? Yeah. What, what gauges should we be paying attention to? Where's our offerings compared to where it used to be? What, what percentage of our offerings is coming from a small percentage of people? What, all those gauges, where, what, where's a true self-assessment? Um, and then I think as a pastor or as a church leader, I think asking the question, so there's less people to do the same work. So you have to ask yourself, where's the greatest contribution I can make to the kingdom right now when it comes yeah. to the, the mission of our church? Right. Where's the best way? Because if you're a willing person that's going to keep showing up, you're going to have double the people 
that are going to ask you to do more things. Mm. And then I think a, a big challenge I would have for people, and, and I may, I don't know if I'll talk about this in November or not. I think it depends on Dan, as you and I keep conversing on what the need is. Yeah. I, I've been talking to pastors about at some point you need a new baseline. Stop comparing to pre-COVID numbers. You're going to discourage yourself. You're going to discourage your church. You're going to discourage your staff. You're going to discourage your elders or deacons, whatever your leadership structure is. And there comes a point where you have to say, this is the new baseline. We're no longer a church of 200. That's who we were. We are now a church of 125. Let's build from here. Otherwise, you easily could move into a always comparing and always trying to get the people back that aren't going to come back. Mm. So I think that's a big question. I would encourage church leaders. When do we choose? We've chosen here that our new baseline is going to be what's our January average. That's our, that's our new baseline. You January know, 2022. Then, yes. Okay. Before then. And, and again, we're still at that masking every, we're supposed to be masking everywhere. And, and I would say you go to a grocery store, you have probably have 80 to 90% compliance. Mm-hmm. And some places they'll chase you down and other places they won't. But so for us, we've just chosen January, 2022. What is our average? That's our new baseline. Before then we could, we're, it's so easy to say, what size is your church? Well, pre pandemic, we were a church of, you know, and (laughs) I just, we're going to, I'm going to stop giving that number. So you're saying that time is past now. We need to look forward. Yes. Because there's a certain percentage in America, church, uh, attendance is just slowly dropping percentage wise. Yep. That has just accelerated by about, I'm going to say 18 years worth in 18 months. Mm. So it's just, instead of doing this, it's done this. So let's quit, let's quit spitting in the wind on that. And let's say, here's our new baseline. And instead of, if you're, let's go back to where a church, we're a church of 200. Now we're a church of 125. Instead of chasing after those 75 that have used it as an excuse to not come back, they didn't want to be there anyway. They mm. couldn't wait for an excuse. And they, every excuse they took, but they always went with their wife or it's what I did growing up, so I should do it. They have no intention of coming back. And I think churches should pursue those that the spirit is working on their heart rather than those that have been hard-hearted waiting to leave anyway. So new baseline, we're a church at 125. What do we need to do to grow from here? But this talk of, we were a church of 200 pre pandemic. How long are you going to do that? Are you going to say that five years from now? Yeah. At That's some so good. point, choose when you're going to give it up. And, and I think it can depend on, you know, I've talked to friends. I, I've done, I've done enough traveling in the last year that I know there's places like they should be doing their new baseline now because you wouldn't think I just was in Iowa visiting my parents and I went to the Iowa state fair and I took a video and sent it to a bunch of our staff saying, Hey, good news. COVID doesn't exist in Iowa because <laughs> man, it was shoulder to shoulder people and there wasn't a mask to be found. Well, if you're in Iowa, it's probably time to get a new baseline yeah. and quit, quit pretending and quit discouraging yourself and others with, we were a church of, and just say, here's mm-hmm. who we are. Let's go. Let's yeah. do, let's do the great commission. Yeah. I think that's key. I really do. I think that is so good advice for us. Uh, first of all, the, the one thing that you said was, is it biblical or is it preferential? And then the other is establishing that new baseline saying, where are we at? Let's move forward. Now, speaking of moving forward, you said 2022, January, your new baseline, where do you see us, the church? I mean, in 2032. 
Hmm, yeah. Well, I preface this by saying I am a terrible futurist. I, I read of these guys that Nostradamus you know, say, you're not, huh? No. And when people say, here's what I think the church is going to look like every time I read that, I'm like, Whoa, I've never thought of that. So I'm not good at being a futurist and I'm not, I I've never made three to five year goals because I tend to, I I'm a change agent. So three months into a three year goal, I think, Oh no, I think we ought to go this way instead. Um, so I tend to see a destination and I put my head down and see what's kind of right in front of me. So I'm bad at predicting the future, but I do think we have moved ahead, you know, 10 to 15 to 18 years. I, I read somewhere that in the next five years, I've talked to a couple of church leaders on this, um, Warren Bird. I talked to him recently about it mm. in the next five years, 20% of churches in America will either merge with another church or cease to exist. Yes. I do think that's coming. That's happening. We we've already, we have a new campus opening up in 2022, early 2022 that a church approached us and said, yep. we have an auditorium that seats 400. There's 30 of us. Can we become part of new Heights church? And so we've actually, they are part of new Heights church. Now that campus is closed. We're pouring in about $1.8 million to improve the facility. Cause it was not good. Mm. Um, and then Last week, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to name give specifics because if anybody from our church hears this, they don't yeah. know about it yet. So <laughs> there's another church that approached us saying, "Hey, this property is available. Are you interested?" So I think that I think that 20 percent mark isn't ridiculous. So where I think the church is going in the next 10 years, I think I want to be a church. This is the combination that I think a church should pursue that has a commitment to biblical authority, a heart of concern for poverty and justice. Mm. Um, and I, again, I, I, we, could, it, we could talk about it if you want to. I'm not talking about being a social justice warrior, but who's opposed to justice, right? Who's right. saying I'm all right. about injustice? Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, figuring out how that works. How does that really work? I, we're doing, our Bible reading plan just is reading through uh, Isaiah and just came to the, the hunger for God, what real fasting looks like. And it's all about caring for the needs of people. So a, uh, a true commitment to biblical authority, a heart towards poverty and justice issues. And then thirdly, an unwavering commitment to, to pro-life issues. Mm. I think churches, I would encourage churches don't bend on those three things. Yeah, And I think a lot of churches love the first and last one and ignore the second one. Yeah, And I <laughs> so think true. there's churches that love the second one and might ignore the third one And then there's a lot of modern churches that are focusing on the first two modern. And I just mean, I I mean, time-wise chronologically, not uh, modernity, but I I think they have, there are a lot of churches, contemporary churches that have a mind of biblical authority and have very, uh, they're growing in their heart for justice issues. And that's Mm. good, Mm. but they don't want to talk about the justice issue of life. Mm. And Mm. I just think I would tell pastors Focus on all three. Yeah, I think churches that do all three have the best chance of thriving in the future. We can walk, chew gum, and play the tambourine at the same time. <laughs> we can do it. I was just going to echo, I think the biblical authority piece is going to continue to be more and more of the big struggle. Uh, we were just doing an NEC processing time on the six, I don't know if you saw this article, David, but it was the six factions of evangelicalism, yeah, right? Sure. And so... It was cool. We got on Zoom with a bunch of NEC pastors and we all kind of identified, okay, where am I personally as a pastor? And then where's my church <laughs> and the church that I lead? And it was a really good discussion, but I found with the numbering system that this author gave, um, the the later ones where you're starting to move away from the church as, as we know it, you know, like the establishment, 
uh, one of the biggest pieces that I think leads to that. And I hate the term slippery slope, but now I'm an old guy because I'm over 30. So that's just what it is. But it really is the biblical authority piece. Like what is the Bible? Is it just a helpful guide that's in the mix with a lot of other things? Or is it actually authoritative? And once you cross that line, you can, if, if you ditch biblical authority, you can go almost anywhere. And I think the pressure to cross that threshold is just going to keep mounting, even in our circles. And when I say our circles, I mean, conservative evangelical ish, you know, churches, There's, labels are hard today, but you know what I mean? Like conservative churches are going to continue to battle that even, even with their history and even with the future. But that doesn't mean that we can't be effective. It's just that we've got to have a holistic view of what the Christian life really means and being honest about our organizational uh, shortcomings <laughs> when it comes to church. Yeah. And I also, I would also say with that, that I actually think it's not only the right thing to do to maintain a firm conviction on biblical authority. It actually is the, is going to be the way that'll lead to the most success. Yes. Because it's kind of like for us right now, I'm not saying this everywhere in the country, but for us, those that are saying, I'm not showing up unless everybody's in a mask, uh, they'll show up every once in a while. It's not like they're really going to start showing up. So those that are saying, I can't believe you take the Bible literally, they're going to show up at church every once in a while. But if there's no authority there, why are mm. we coming? It, it becomes a social. That's why, you know, you go back to liberalism back in the yep. early 20th century. Yep. But those that w- went with a, uh, it was interesting reading a, reading a book recently. If you go back to the, um, was it Machen's book on liberalism and you mm. look at the list of things he was saying, here's what's coming in our culture. Here's what's here in our culture. You would think that book was written last year because yeah. it's the same issues and it was loud and it slowly died because liberal churches died and now it's loud again but the, yep. the cycle's going to be the same. Mm, yeah. Well, I think what you've heard from our conversation so far helps you to understand why we're excited about having David Whiting be one of the speakers at the Northeast Leadership Summit coming up on November the 6th. David, why are you excited to be coming to speak? Well, I, I love the Northeast. You know, we spent a good percentage of our, our lives there, ministry life there. So I love the Northeast, but uh, I love talking to pastors and church leaders. If you ask me, would you rather speak to a group of 10 pastors or speak somewhere to 5,000 people that you don't know? I'll take the, the handful of pastors every day of the week. I, I way prefer it. And I love, you know, Acts 20, 24 is, it seems great that my verse, it's like my main ministry verse, or if you want to call it my life verse hmm. that says, um, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Mm. And uh, the average Christian in our culture, that is a crazy concept too. But pastors and church leaders get it. So mm. they're my people, mm. you know, they're, they're the people that are saying, <laughs> I want to give my life to this. This is worth giving my life to. Yeah. And so I want to come because that's what I, I want to be around people like that. And that's why it's such a good fit because Northeast Collaborative was birthed out of this love for pastors and the whole mission of why we exist is to empower pastors to lead and launch healthy churches. And so we are asking pastors to bring their staff, but we're also asking them to bring their their lay leaders, their key volunteers, uh, and even their teens who are really bought in to the church and to the church's success. And so we're excited to develop disciples and their next steps of effectiveness for Jesus. And David, I, I'm just so grateful that you're willing to take the time to fly coast to coast and come back out. And uh, are, are you, you making a pit stop at 
Clark Summit University speaking there and then coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. I partner it together with a couple of things. And then there's a, a nonprofit up in Rochester that asked me to come speak to their staff. So I'm, I'm going to kind of team it all together and <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are excited as we continue to attempt to make dents in the darkness here in the Northeast. Looking forward to having Pastor David Whiting here with us in the Northeast on November the 6th at Berean Bible Church in Green, New York. You can go to our website for more information. All of the information will also be here in the show notes for this podcast. Share this with someone you know and come out to the Northeast Leadership Summit coming up. November the 6th.